Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at stchangehappen.co.uk. That's stchangehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 81, with the title, Running on Linux. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Sophie Power. Sophie describes herself as a talent lead and podcast host for Zinc, which is the automated background checking software for teams. When I asked Sophie to describe her superpower, she said that she is a people person and great at connecting with near enough anyone. Hello, Sophie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And hello. Hello, indeed. Um, Sophie, we were chatting just now and we decided to call this episode Running on Linux. Tell me about that. <laughs> yes, we did indeed. Um, so running on Linux, sorry, when I can get my words out, is a lighthearted, uh, lighthearted way of describing my experience um, over the past year of having been diagnosed at the age of 32 with autism. Um, it's still... It you know was at the time and still is uh, a new experience for me. It's spent the past year kind of reframing the way that I've I've approached things. Um, it's obviously very interesting to to be reasonably late in life diagnosed and looking back on the past yeah thirty well, three years now at the time of recording. Um, you know the third past thirty three years of, of living and. I've always had the sense growing up and I've often made the joke, uh, oh, I'm not wired right. Uh, it's been a, a running joke with uh, some of my long-term friends, if, if any of them happen to be listening. Um, they'll they'll know that one well. So it's it was interesting to actually get that, that confirmation, which while wasn't a shock, it certainly was, it, it kind of was and wasn't a shock, I think is probably the best way of putting it. Um, it's It's very strange to... Uh, I have the sense that something, you know, there's got to be a disconnect here somewhere. I've always had that feeling like, what is there? There are things about life I'm not getting. Like, what is that? It's not that I'm I'm unintelligent. It's not that I'm bad with people. It's not that I'm unempathetic, quite the opposite. But there's something sort of not quite right there. So it was really interesting to realise, actually, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, trying to, you know, uh, sort of, interact with a world that runs on windows um if we're going to use that analogy and actually uh i'm on a completely different operating system and i've been reading the wrong instruction booklet which uh yeah was uh sort of uh, sort of where the analogy came from i i came up with it in the office uh sort of as a as a little bit of a joke um but realized actually it kind of hit the nail on on the head of my experience anyway very very well um so that's that's a little bit of of what running on on Linux is about uh, when I say when I say that. So, what was it that you realised was different about you 
that led you to to realize that the the operating system was was different yeah when i was very young um like like a lot of toddlers um but probably more perhaps more boys than girls but i think that's more a socialization point um but that's probably another talk for another time um i was obsessed with dinosaurs um <laughs> any anyone who's ever met a toddler probably won't be that surprised to hear that actually um as as my friends have now got toddlers of their own um but it, it went beyond just liking playing with the toys and you know Jurassic Park came out when I when I was a kid so you know sort of like going to the cinema my first cinema trip was to see the Jurassic Park film and all of that I was obsessed I knew every name of every dinosaur I, you could put up flashcards of the most obscure dinosaur and I could tell you what their name was, what period they came from. I could tell you a fun fact about them, what other kind of dinosaurs existed around at the time. It was precocious. It was uncanny. It was really quite, quite, my parents loved it. They thought it was brilliant. Um, and, uh, that I, I realise now, reflecting back with the knowledge I do now, that was probably my first special interest um, and certainly the first example. Um, I am terrible at maths. Um, I have actually known for, for since university uh, that I have dyscalculia um, and it, it is it is what it is. I've, I've you know, sort of uh, worked with that for a long time, but I was always extremely good at reading. Um, I could read and and write long before I started school. Um, And often um, I remember um, as a kid, I was uh, actually told off for reading the wrong sticker books. So we used to, I don't know if they still do this because I don't don't have kids. um, So I'm not sure what what happens in schools now. Um, But uh, certainly back in the 90s, um, you'd have coloured stickers on all of the books in the school library and a level, a reading level would be assigned. And I'd right from the get go be reading the highest sticker, which was purple and blue, if you're wondering, um, um, when I should have been on red. Um, And um, yeah, I used to get told off for, for reading too far above uh, my level, which I, I remember thinking very strange and then being like, well, no, I'm not going to read the red book. I, I read that two years ago. I'm not interested. Um, and, um, you know, sort of that, again, that, that kind of precociousness. Um, but it didn't translate to later school life as, as school got more complicated, social structures got more complicated, things got more nuanced. Um, I started to really struggle. Um, I got bullied a lot at school and I wouldn't really understand why. Um, uh, sort of, I had some really deep, passionate, special interests uh, that would often I'd, I'd get kind of laughed at for. I was very passionate about, you know, kind of drama um, and, and theatre and, and drama group. Um, passionate about politics, like a lot of teenagers, to be fair, that's not unusual. But, you know, joined the student council, the local town council, and I'd very earnestly, you know, run campaigns to get people in sixth form, child bus fares. I was successful, i just like to say, because um, I was very persistent, um, very polite pest. Um, and, uh, you know, it would often be viewed as, you know, and I'd uh, notice, I'd realise people weren't laughing with me, um, but I wouldn't quite know why they were laughing at me, um, which is extremely disorientating and confusing um, when, you know, you're already going through the joys of, of being a young person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a teenager again for 
all the all the the size six genes in in the world. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, and then as I became an adult, uh, you know, sort of started to in my my mid to late twenties sort of reflect back on a pattern of of relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, and realizing I, you know. Often got taken advantage of and not quite realise the steps that were happening as they were happening, um, and and sort of not see these patterns of behaviour. So I'd go, go take myself to the, the therapist's office, and then eventually I had a therapist say, um, I, "I don't know how to help you." Um, and I was like, "Oh, it would have been nice if you told me that before we'd spent six months." you know, me, me paying six months of invoices, but okay. Um, and so that, that led me to kind of question what and why. And I think that sort of coincided with a growing movement of more adult women realizing that their, their neurodivergence and, you know, exhibited itself very differently to the stereotypes of ADHD and autism as being something that happens to uh middle class white white boys um you know that's it's very real um and and very real and very uh, you know valid um for them as well and and it's they still don't get the support they need i think um, when i reflect back on the boys at school i went to school with who who had adhd uh and the stigmatism that they faced and i remember that um you know, it's something that flew under the radar for me. And rather than, you know, Sophie, Sophie is autistic. It was just, Sophie's weird. Um, she wears weird clothes um, because she doesn't see the point of wearing the fashionable clothes just because everyone else is, you know, a little bit of uh, sort of that oppositional uh, kind of tendency. So, yeah, it was a lot of things. And then, yeah, it sort of culminated in end of 20s, spending my, I turned 30 before the pandemic, but my early 30s spent, two years sat alone in my flat because uh, I lived alone and was single um, and, and self-employed. Um, so triple whammy um, of, of solitary confinement uh, for lockdown um, and realising that one, I'm actually okay on my own. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I haven't noticed it's been two years. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and realising I've dived into another special interest um, and, and, now I'm uh, surrounded with loads of, of sort of like art and things I've created and that's really cool. And, and realizing actually I do really well in online communities um, and, and sort of living, living online um, and realizing it's because there are rules and there's, there's rules for internet forums. There's, there's structures, there's ways that you converse and, and things you do and don't say, and it's all very kind of fixed and literal. Um, and then I think the absolute, catalyst for going forwards and getting a diagnosis was going out for a catch-up dinner with an old uni friend um who herself had been diagnosed with ADHD um and she said very sensitively and and very empathetically um have you thought about it for yourself um because a lot of the things that we shared as a struggle she was a course mate uh, we sat together every day for three years um just sort of, you know, some of the things we struggled with together and it was just a joke and a ha ha ha, love deadline mode, lol. Um, actually, it was just, it turns out it was just classic ADHD symptoms. Um, so that led me to, uh, through Psychiatry UK with the NHS, um, looking at ADHD. And then actually, the more I spoke to my psychiatrist, she said that it's, I think, 
the the underlying issue that's really driving a lot of sort of the things that you're talking about struggling with is actually autism um and then from there ended up getting a diagnosis and it was like you know sort of mind quite mind-blowing um in in an in a slightly long nutshell so getting the diagnosis what difference did that make to your life just that diagnosis so what changed as a result of that um in some ways absolutely nothing um so in some ways like you know I kind of told some people and they were like yeah I'm not surprised like oh did you not know um was how some of how some of my friends responded uh which is quite I mean I'm I'm a big fan of just you know not taking life too seriously and and having a bit of a giggle as you probably tell by sort of the suggested title of of this podcast so you know I found you know sort of some of them were like yeah yeah we know babe um it's okay we love you anyway um which is wonderful and then uh, you know sort of other folks it's sort of the, the the classic you you don't look autistic um comments which I'm not I'm not really sure how to how to unpack uh, I don't know how I feel about them actually it's, it's only been a year I don't really know um I don't have enough of uh, data to do a retro on that but um and then in other ways it, there was a period of reframing my whole life's experiences and that has been very tiring um so as I've, I've talked a lot about school so far already but also my professional life um there's been so many times um and references that are in my my report as well um talking about you know incidences at work um where I've just been blindsided um by things and and been really shocked by you know that or I've said something that I think is completely innocent and then somebody's reacted like I've you know threatened their firstborn and it's really blown my mind I'm like why are you so angry I've just asked the question um you know um and not understood why you know, uh, people have had quite extreme reactions to what I think are quite innocent things. Um, I'm a nice person. Um, I do nice things. I like to help people. I'm always looking for, uh, the way, you know, the best way of doing things, doing the right thing. Um, and, and sort of invoking community is really important to me. So yeah, that having, having sort of that reaction sometimes has, has always been quite shocking. Um, so yeah, it's been a period of reframing all of those experiences and going, well, actually, you know, me and this other person are just reading, like seeing off completely different hymn sheets to, to pick a, pick a, uh, a colloquialism. Um, like we're approaching things with a completely different way of seeing and experiencing the world. Um, and that's, that's, Sometimes it's, yeah, there's been a lot of feelings with that, um, you know, um, and now I understand that I feel things quite strongly and why. Is is anybody neurotypical? You know, we talk about mm. being normal. Normal is such a very fine line on the bell curve of, of extremes. Who is neurotypical? Because everything you're describing, I think, yeah, I get obsessed about that. Yeah, I can do that. I was very polarised in my school years, um, Maths and physics, I was completely in tune with. Mm. So I was, I was A grade maths and, maths and physics and, and chemistry and biology, but Z grade, if there was a Z grade, in, in other things like French and German and some of the maybe economics, those sort of things. So I'm either in 
or I'm out. You know, if you look mm. at my report card, there was nothing in the middle. It was either loved it or hated it, yeah. and which is you know, a classic symptom of obsessing and, and, and pulling things apart and getting to the bottom of it. If, if it's if it's in your frame, if it's not, it, it's just not relevant to you. So, so is anyone actually neurotypical? Is or is everybody on this? Uh, I hate the word spectrum. Um, but we are we are all different, and, and who said that you know a hundred thousand years ago when our species started evolving into communities that we had to be typical? I, I always think about dyslexia. Mm. Dyslexia is who decided that we were designed to write and read? Who decided that we haven't evolved to read and write? So who says dyslexia is abnormal? Dyslexia is, could be our default position. And we've just decided the social construct we've created says that dyslexia is wrong or not as good. I think, so who says that neurodiversity, you know, your traits that you, you special, your superpower would have given you significant advantage in certain, and they probably still do in certain situations where you can hyper-focus, you can get really stuck into something and block everything else out to get a task done or to get to achieve something. And I think, I think we, we often see people as, as different hmm. when really we're just, we're just, we're all different. And I, I wonder if, if you've experienced that kind of feeling as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's, there's really a sense of, we all bring different things to the table and we're all good at different things. And we all, you know, there are, there are some things I'm absolutely atrocious at, uh, the seven times table, sorry, mum, um, long division, awful. Um, to be honest, budgeting again, my dad's an accountant, sorry, dad. Um, but, uh, then there are other things I'm, I'm really good at, which is, you know, I, you know, I, I'm one of those rare people that is quite comfortable walking into a room full of strangers on her own and and going and, and making friends. Um, I've, you know, and and again, I, I reflect back and and I've travelled all over the world on my own. And to me, it's it's like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, our first solo trip um, was when a friend pulled out and was like, oh, I'm really sorry, I know you really wanted to go, and I was like, oh, I'm still going. She was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'll just go on my own. It's fine. <laughs> Um, and I did, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, uh, 20, 20 years old as I was, um, that, that was, that was quite, uh, quite an unusual thing to do. Um, but it just, it's just never occurred to me to be any other way. And, uh, then you realize, yeah, it's, you know, we've all got different strengths. Um, you know, some of my friends are very, very analytical. Some of my friends are very social and, and some of my colleagues are very creative. Some are very, uh, you know, kind of data and numbers driven, um, you know, some are very pragmatic, some are very, you know, energized and, and sort of, uh, you know, their thoughts jump all over the place. And, and I see it happen in meetings, you know, you've got people who come out with, you know, sort of 20 different ideas in the space of about 10 minutes. And then you've got other people who are more methodical and analytical who sit there and, and we go, right, okay, well, let's put these in order and let's have a think about how we're going to, you know, make some of these ideas happen do they relate back to this you know and then you've got somebody who goes right okay cool well if we get point one done by friday i'll i'll get i'll i'll get it done um you know and so if you have people if you have a meeting room to relate it back to work um if you have a meeting room full of purely analytical people who just sit there and, and drill through numbers and no creative people and no kind of people who can just get stuff done um you're gonna have 
you know, no, nobody's going to tell you what to do with the data. So you're going to have loads of really interesting data, but where's the insight? Um, where's the action that comes from the insight? Um, where's the progress? So you need, you need people with lots of different ways of approaching things, whether that be the way we evolved, um, you know, sort of thousands of years ago, um, or the way that we work, work now. So yeah, I agree. Like, why normal is is you're right, Joanne. Such a narrow definition, and I don't think it serves anyone. Let let alone let alone somebody working on a different operating system. Yeah, and you could probably appreciate. I of, I, I was operating on a, I think MS DOS when I when I when I was growing up. I'm that old. In fact, pre pre MS DOS punch card. I think I was operating on, and it <laughs> took me to my to my teens and twenties and, and into my forties to realise that. I was I was running on the wrong hardware, and uh, you know I I had to do a shift, and and that I I often think that the fact I'm left-handed, the fact that I'm transgender, is just my my brain has a different set of wiring, and it's no different to being neurodiverse or whatever it may be, and some might argue that some of my traits have a touch of autistic or ADHD or ADD about them because of who I am, but I I I kind of I think like you, they're just who I am, they're my superpower. Yeah. And I, I remember going seeing a, a psychologist or psychiatrist, whichever the definition was, um, at the gender clinic. And I remember coming out with a bit of paper and it said, you are trans, DSM 64.2. Yeah. Transsexual. And I went, yay, I, I, I'm official, I'm real, I exist. Yeah. I'm not making this stuff up. And and sometimes just that, that, that bit of paper mm. or that diagnosis gives you permission to be you. Yeah. And then put everything in place. And it's it's unlocks a lot of a lot of the history of you. Right? So mm. I, I relate to that completely. Yeah, definitely. That it was a really surreal feeling. Um, because the whole assessment was over a video call. Um, and I was actually I wasn't working at the time, so I was waiting to start at my now my now company's inc. Um having had a, a pretty major operation actually. So it was very surreal to just be like okay, I've had a really major operation on my body and my whole body's going to be different now. Um, and also, so is my brain. Um, I'm going to move house and start a new job. Hmm. Hmm. Why am I so tired all the time? I don't get it. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's it, it, in a way, it was really energising though because it, it gives you this, yeah, like that sense of, of yeah, you put it really nicely, permission to all sort of a, um, mm, like a, oh, what is the word? Permission, mandate, a mandate yeah. to be yourself. Yeah. yeah, mandate, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's mm. good as well. It's, uh, yeah, you, you're, you've got the authority to be you, haven't you? And it's, and you're authentic. You're not playing yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I want to take you back to the dinosaur comment because uh, I remember when I was, uh, in my childhood and I remember there being a comic, you know, the comics used to come with that really, really low quality newsprint. You know? oh, yeah. And I remember having one and it was a case of over the, over like six to eight weeks, you had to read this comic strip and identify all the dinosaurs that were in the story. Oh, and you, had, you then had to you had to work out from the images of them. So I, I spent hours in the in the local library with my mum. This is way before the internet. This is in the mid seventies. So we're in the local library with my mum, getting books on dinosaurs out, trying to work out which dinosaur was which. 
And so I, I entered the competition with like a list of 20 dinosaurs, you know, this picture, this picture, this is what. And I won. I, I, yeah, I, I got every dinosaur right. It was like, oh, really? it's like, so when you talk about being obsessed with dinosaurs, um, way before Jurassic Park, but what, one thing I, I was looking at the other day, there's a, a TikTok reel or something on, on Facebook or something came up. Someone had made an eight foot high, I'm guessing it was a velociraptor just from the Jurassic Park type thing yeah. made out of chocolate, made out of chocolate. And this thing was absolutely, I mean, you could have made it out of concrete, you could have made it out of any, any mm. moldable material, but he, he, he was a chef and he made it out or chocolatier. He made it out of chocolate. It's absolutely incredible. And in fact, the, the comments in the chat underneath was a, the dinosaur's teeth are too perfect. <laughs> they didn't have dentists. They must, the, the teeth wouldn't have been that shiny. So I thought it was a fantastic thing. But when you said, you know, interesting fact about all these dinosaurs, what's your fu- or interesting or funny fact about a pterodactyl then? I really want to know what, what's interesting or funny about a pterodactyl. Oh gosh. Um, do you know what? The, the really, the even funnier thing is that I, to my great shame, don't remember a lot of it. Oh dear. Um, so I remember the obsession. I remember the fun. I remember yeah. the excitement. I have actually quite a lot of dinosaur themed clothes in my wardrobe. Um, if my colleagues are really lucky, I might wear my dinosaur dress to work one day. Um, I uh, Last time it, took, it had an outing was my friend's son's second birthday party, uh, which was dinosaur themed. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, a pterodactyl. Um Hmm. There's something in the way that the name's made. Um, so tarot is a number and dactyl refers to fingers. Um, so the, ah. the wings, they've got a certain amount of fingers um, and that's where oh, okay. the name comes from. Because uh, although obviously they're winged. Um, they are lizards with skin between mm, their yeah. body and their, their arms, aren't they? I can, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite cool. Um and uh, yeah, and then my parents, of course, having a kid that was obsessed with dinosaurs, took me to the Natural History Museum in London. Um, and they were really excited for me to see the big animatronic. Oh, the uh, T-Rex. Yeah. I was terrified, <laughs> absolutely terrified. Uh, it looked, when you're tiny, it looked yeah, very real. It is it pretty scary. Very real. Yeah. Um, and I was um, apparently cried and cried and cried. Um and, and didn't, didn't actually want to see it because it looked too real. Because um, yeah, uh, they felt they felt very real. Because um, I had no concept of what seventy million years ago might feel like. Um, none of us do, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Which was uh, and then I went back. I went back as a, an adult when I had a random day off work, as as you often yeah. do when you spend uh, some periods uh, being self employed. Um, and I was like, oh. Oh, it was a a really nice trip down down memory lane. It was uh, just before Dippy um, went on holiday. Um, But yeah, so that was really cool to see. Um, To see sort of all of the... Yeah. Yeah. I've got an Instagram boomerang of of the the T Rex at the Natural History doing its growl and something. I've got a little boomerang on my Instagram on it. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I found it quite interesting. And I think when we went to Florida, I think it was Disney. There was a ride where you're on a, either on a boat or something, and you're going along. And as you got to this cliff edge, and this T Rex or some some big dinosaur pops its head over the edge, and it's like, ah, oh my god, I wasn't expecting this. Sort of this. I guess it's called the dinosaur Jurassic. It must be called the Jurassic Park ride. Yeah, it must we're, be. In a, we're in a jeep or something. That's probably what it was. Yeah, and oh, the dinosaurs. Cool. 
And this big yeah. T-Rex I think pops over and sort of like, oh, I remember my children were really, really frightened of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's very scary when, when you're little and, and sort of, you know, don't, uh, you know, well, everything looks so much bigger for a start um, yeah. and everything's so much louder and... And what have you? Yeah, there's um, there's one place I haven't been actually yet is um, uh, Crystal Palace Park. Um, so I don't know if if you know, uh, it's in it's in uh, South London. Um, yeah. Uh, for anyone anyone unfamiliar with with the geography of, of outer London, but um, there are lots of uh, statues of Victorian dinosaurs. Um, so Victorian impressions of dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, from the the Great Exhibition of eighteen. I want to say eighty-eight, but I'm 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 not a historian. I'm making that Close. up around that era, yeah. around that time, around yeah. that time. Um, and uh, I'm re- I really want to see them, um, but I live in North London, so it's a bit of a trek, um, and life is busy. But um, one of the things that's really interesting about them is that they're actually very historically inaccurate because um, they were based on what few fossils they had, and and sort of what they. And obviously, modern science and modern paleontology is caught up and said actually these aren't accurate. So it's sort of like Victorian impressions of, of dinosaurs based on all these bones they started finding yeah. uh, on the Jurassic coast and things like that. Even and, now, they're trying to rewrite some of the mm. thinking about dinosaurs, about the, the colour, even some of the shapes, and the skin texture, some of maybe having more feathers yeah. than they probably imagined. Because we, got, we can't establish colour or, or some of those things yeah. that have obviously deteriorated over the years. But they're now trying to reimagine dinosaurs with a new more modern light rather than say basing on that victorian just the skeleton yeah 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 which is really interesting uh speaking of of facebook and instagram i I did see quite a funny funny meme um about dinosaurs uh a couple of months ago i think i sent it to one of my mates being like lol uh, as you do um uh and uh it was uh, a comment that basically said uh, we have no idea if dinosaurs had hair or not because fossils don't preserve hair. So imagine a dinosaur looking like this. And it was a picture of um, a picture of a diplodocus with a long <laughs> brown hair just <laughs> randomly, which was quite like a little drawing um, that somebody had stuck some, you know, drawing of some hair over, which was quite funny. Um, and yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, in another sort of 20, 30 years, there'll be a completely different framing yeah. for for yeah, dinosaurs. what we what we know yeah. about dinosaurs then. Going back to the, uh, the topic we we're talking about, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we could, actually, if anyone's listening, you could probably gather we could probably talk about dinosaurs or anything. We could obsess about anything for hours. Yeah. Um, this this is great. I love this conversation. Going off, <laughs> just talking about random stuff. Um, I see a lot of you know, we're, we're, you're in recruitment. I'm in EDI HR space. We obviously hang out on LinkedIn a lot and. Mm. You see a lot of memes, stories around autistic superpower, mm. how autistic people have got this sort of extra spidey sense or this fixation with data. What worries me sometimes is we, we, we're trying to categorize or stereotype autistic people as rain man, you know, or, or, mm. you know data, data experts. Is that setting up people to fail sometimes? Because I, it, I'm autistic, but I'm don't. Ha- I'm not a, a mathematical genius. Is it? Are we creating a stereotype? Yeah, I I think so. I think there's a lot of it's well intended, like a lot of these things are. Um, you know, it's it's born out of a desire to celebrate and and champion um, with the best of intentions. But 
I think when we create this view of, of the autistic savant, um, and if you look to media, there's a lot of that as well. Um, like the, uh, I've not seen the show, but there's a Korean detective show, The Extraordinary Doctor Wu, I want to say. Um, there's also Sherlock Holmes as uh, another famous, more readily recognisable one. They're often autistic coded characters as like these genius uh, analytical savants, um, uh, you know. And, and one of the things that, that you know, I think I, I realise now I'm, I'm very good at is that's often seen as spidey sense, um, quote marks, but, you know, is pattern recognition. Um, so I'm very good at spotting tiny little changes in people's behaviour. Um, I am the absolute worst person to watch a film with because I very quickly have worked out how it's going to end. I also have a degree in comparative literature, so I've read pretty much every book um, there is to read um, and know and, and made a extensive study of, of, you know, all the different types of stories that could possibly exist. So there's a little bit of that as well. But, you know, I'm really good at watching it and going... Yeah, no, it wasn't the husband. It was uh, the the cousin. Um, and uh, people, you know, sort of watching this this detective film, and people go, "Wait, what?" Um, and then it turns out to be right. And then I I realised I think it's brilliant because I'm like, "Oh, great!" And I've sat there and I've worked it out. My friend sat with me watching is is frustrated because I've just bought it for them, and for them, the surprise is the journey. I hate surprises. Um, so, like that pattern recognition that 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 perception, that analysis, I think can be really harmful because ultimately the way I see it is it frames autistic and neurodivergent people as, you know, it frames them in as much as their use to the wider population. Um, I I sort of feel like it's sort of, you know, the one thing people have always said is what's your superpower? Um, Oh, well, you just have to find your superpower um, is one thing somebody said when I told them I was autistic and they meant well. Um, and it's, it's, I'm, you know, not, not sort of, you know, offended or anything, but it, it obviously puts pressure on, on the, the neurodivergent person to almost like prove their worth. Like what, what use have they got? If they go, if you're going to be disabled, what, what value can you provide? Um, is it sort of the, the sort of more sinister kind of message or uh, certainly I don't, I don't, love love that view um it's well intended um and and i don't think anybody's ever meant it in a harmful way but i think it puts a lot of pressure on people um because sometimes actually you know the the burnout is real and the exhaustion is real the you know it's very tiring to you know and i was always confused by where people got their energy from so like just you know going a whole day of being at work, socializing, talking, and I love socializing. I love talking. Um, and then also the executive functioning around going home and managing a household. If you've got children, uh, managing uh, a household with children, which is a whole other board game. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and then kind of doing all of that. And then also having the time to go to the gym, have hobbies, like have long-term goals, you know, work on a long-term project, you know, saving for a house, you know, planning a big trip, uh, you know, organizing a wedding, like take your pick. Um, you know, where do people get all the energy from? Um, and to then also have to think about your superpowers and, and how to present them and how to find them and how to, to unpack them and, and show them. That's also 
really tiring um, when you're also kind of battling, you know, sort of swimming against the tide. Um, you know, because I think as an autistic person, like, I suddenly realised, like, um, I talked with it about Theo Smith, um, I talked about it with Theo Smith, sorry, uh, but just before Christmas. And, um, you know, sort of things like, sensory sensitivities and and lighting and all of these things um you know stimming and uh, and yeah. toys and things yeah mm, yeah and a lifetime of being told to stop fidgeting and you know being put in detention or told i look like i'm not enjoying things because i'm fidgeting in a meeting it's just like just yeah i've got I've got a couple Sorry, of I'm just holding up my uh my squidgy i've got some squidgy um teddy bears here which i often play with and uh I've got uh, obviously folks can't see it on the you know on the podcast, but I've got a couple of poker chips that I fiddle around with. Don't even play poker. Don't yeah. play poker. Not 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 remotely good at it. Um, but I've got a couple of poker chips that I fiddle around with, like off camera when I'm in meetings, and it really helps. Um, it actually helps me focus. So I look like I'm fidgety and not paying attention, but I'm actually more focused for doing that. Um, yeah, one thing I noticed, I was I was at. Uh... Um, a workshop that I was facilitating for uh, a charity I'm a trustee of, actually. Mm. And they, one of the things they did to prepare the environment was to be neurodiverse aware. So what mm. they did was they they made sure there was no strong lighting. So they turned mm. them, so for century point of view, they didn't use the main room lighting. They put table lamps on every table and they put fidget toys out and st- for people who want to stim or fidget or play, mm. occupy their hands. And I, I, I'm holding one now, which is like a bit of a, a plastic mesh with a marble inside. Oh, I yeah. picked up this. And I've also got another one, which is a, a kind of a key ring type thing, which you just flip over. Hmm. And one thing that I suddenly realised after a couple of hours of playing with these that I hadn't touched my phone. And what I realised that I'm yeah. picking up my phone, I'm playing with it, I'm stimulating myself, I'm, I'm, I'm mm. I've got this obsession with checking it. I, I can't, I can't handle any red notification yeah. icon on my, on my, on my apps. So I've got to close them all. Yeah. And I realised that you can actually turn the notifications off. So I've got, I started going around through turning the notifications off, so I don't have to close them. But I found that after a couple of hours of just playing with these fidget toys, I wasn't picking my nails. I often pick my nails. I'm um, very guilty of that. And I wasn't picking my phone up. So I realised that actually my brain needs something to fiddle with. And mm. and I, I it, it was a real awakening for me. And I shared that when people talk about fidget toys from a neurodiversity point of view. And I don't know if I'm neurodiverse. I haven't, I haven't had a test. Or I haven't even considered it. But what I have identified is that I, I do benefit from a, from a fidget toy yeah. in, 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 in a way of helping me put my phone down and maybe start having conversations and being more, yeah, more, more attentive because I'm not, I'm not fidgeting in the background, if you like. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely, um, I think it's something a lot of people can benefit from, you know, I mean, you'll probably know better than me, uh, given your line of work, but I think we, we call them accommodations for disability, but actually they're things that benefit everyone um regardless of of neurotype um there are a lot of people who yeah could probably focus much better in meetings when they doodle on their notepad or they twiddle uh you know a couple of poker chips to do something with their hands rather than bite their nails i am a nail biter i was for my entire childhood was constantly nagged about it but realistically i was yeah probably probably stimming um Mm. because you know you weren't allowed to 
to fidget. You had to sit stock still, stare at the front of the class, not say a word, not move. And if you did, you were told off, sent to the corner or put in detention. Um, you know, um, and so, yes, we, you know, one of the things um, I've done recently at Zinc is write uh, sort of not a policy policy. It's a bit heavy handed in a 30 person seed stage startup. Um, but, you know, just write what equality means at Zinc and what, it, you know, sort of what it means in practice, because I think there's a lot of it's a lot of it was done in an unspoken way and actually for those of us who need things outlined it's very useful so I outlined it um and you know one of the things we talked about was like do you need to use fidget toys you know do you need to is it helpful for to wear sunglasses in the office sometimes um you know um you know does your hyper focus look like dancing at your desk with some headphones in um while you've got three browser tabs open um, cause that's what it looks like for me. Um, mm. which I then also equally, my colleagues are very patient when I'm, you know, sort of when I need to work that way, but equally, you know, and then it makes it easier for me knowing that they're, they're comfortable with sort of letting me work my way. Um, and, you know, supporting that, which makes, gives me the energy back to help them when, you know, their way of, of focusing and knuckling down is silence and not talking. Um, mm you know, it's it sort of, you know, you spend 20 minutes, you know, sort of being like, right, okay, let's put some music on and have a bit of a chat. And, you know, it seems like, you know, great. I've, I've got loads of work done now. Um, okay, right. I'm going to go make a cup of tea and, and, you know, uh, you know, sort of go in and sit and, and do things, um, you know, and then we'll have some, some quiet time and, you know, I sort of switch my diary around because um, some days mm. I sit and get my head down. So, I, you know, those are work from home days and then, you know, try and do the more sort of people focused things. But yeah, there's there's also been times when I've worn sunglasses in the office um, and my team have, have been really good at just, mm. you know, just not making a comment. Actually, um, I turned up on a video call at a previous company once wearing sunglasses because I was just over just too the sun was like beaming into my flat and I was like, Oh, I can't even anymore. Um, and instead of sort of like making a big comment about it, everybody just put the zoom sunglasses filters on. So we ended up like an entire call of people wearing sunglasses, um, which I thought was quite funny. Um, cause that's my sense of humor, but yeah. yeah. Um, I can certainly relate to what you're saying around the, the, the noise, what you, where you have noise in the background, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of these people that I walk around my house, telling Alexa to stop because Alexa's of, of, often got Radio 2 on in the background and when yeah. my wife sets it up, she tends to have it at a kind of a background hum level. Mm. And when it's because my hearing has, has faded as I got older or not, I find this like, like noise where I can't mm. quite hear the vocal. Mm. I can hear the music, but I can't hear the spoken. It just really, really, I gotta go, I just turn it off. Either turn it up or turn it off. I can't handle the, the, yeah. the hum level. But I can find myself sitting in silence for hours without even, and go, oh, yeah, I've been sat in silence. Or it, sometimes I, I get in the car and I haven't turned the radio on, I haven't put any music on or anything. And I've driven to Manchester and I get to Manchester and I realize I've just done that in silence. I haven't had any, any, any other stimulation. I've just been, my brain has been focusing on obviously the drive, but also it's been into thinking mode or, or exploring yeah. ideas mode. And yeah, I, I can be perfectly happy. I think you said it earlier. 
you can spend all day on your own and mm. have a great time and you don't need anybody else to sort of join in sometimes. Yeah. Oh, there, there's, there's enough going on up there, to be honest. Yeah. Keeping yeah. busy for hours. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Like I definitely have days where, yeah, I, I need, I need the stimulation. Um, but then I also have days where God, I would love to just hit pause. Um, yeah. and those are definitely the days where, yeah, I'd prefer a quieter day, lower lighting, less music. And it's actually not because I'm lower in energy. It's because I've got too much. Um, and as well as being, you know, sometimes understimulated, like there have definitely been times when I've been overstimulated. Um, and I've, I've been like way too up and then, you know, sort of, I've got other people in, in the office where we sort of hype each other up and then it's, you know i'm i'm up in the ceiling and i'm just like oh god i've got to go home and try and go to bed and calm down now um and uh yeah so that's that's always a, a fun one so it's sort of yeah it's and it's interesting because I, I just didn't have any clue um about any of this until a year ago um so these things were happening and i just assumed that these were experiences that everybody had and that it was normal and well you know normal quote mark um, <laughs> Widely experienced, um, yeah. you know, and it turns out that actually it's less widely experienced than yeah. I realised. But one thing as well is like that understanding about yourself helps you to find your tribe and your people. And I've always felt a sense when I was younger of not fitting in and not feeling like I've I've met my people. Um that, that kind of sense of belonging. Um, and mm. I feel I'm much closer to that. Now I have a better understanding of where I belong and, and, and what belonging means, um, mm. which is really important. So in your, in your job, you are talent acquisition specialist yeah, for one of a, you know, it, it, for, for the person on the street, that's a recruiter. I know it's, yeah. I know it's a, yeah. whatever <laughs> you, you, you place people into roles for, mm-hmm. for a company. Um, so as a, as a as someone who is neurodivergent, has ASD, autistic, ADHD, whatever whatever terminology you use, what do you think is important for people in the TA process, talent acquisition process, to think about when engaging with candidates if, who are specifically around neurodiversity? What what what, what are the the good things? Because there's still lots of myths, and you should do this and should yeah. do that. What what really makes a difference? Yeah. So things around like the typical sort of social markers of confidence credibility and success are very much rooted in what that looks like for a neurotypical person eye contact a firm handshake less ums and ahs minimal pausing sounding certain, sounding assertive, projecting your voice clearly. Now, I had a lot of, I I used to go to theatre school uh, in my spare time. So I've had a lot of training in these things um, from a young age. It's a passion of mine. I was, I was at the theatre on Monday. Um, And um, so these are things I realise now are a big part of my masking but actually when I'm very tired, they're things I really struggle with. And I realize I'm, I catch myself stammering and I find eye contact painful. Um, and you know, Oh, don't touch me. Um, don't shake my hand. Don't gently pat me on the arm. Like, Ooh, leave me alone. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> 
but then uh, you know sort of when when I've got more energy these things don't I don't struggle with but that isn't the experience of everybody um you know and so for a lot of candidates like one of the things we put on our, our website about accessibility it's think is you know if you need to make us aware that you're uncomfortable with eye contact or you don't want to do handshakes or you know you need softer lighting in in your interview room then let us know um the lighting is probably the one i'd need the most notice about because i need to work something out with with our office manager but you know it's not uh insurpassable like we can overcome and and sort of work with all of this so you know the none of these things are difficult um and i think as a, as a as a company as an employer as a recruiter it's just a matter of letting people know that they're available to be asked for as well um the burden doesn't always have to be on the disabled person to you know guess what you're able to provide um you know let them know what what you can do straight off the bat what you understand you know because it also shows that you're an employer and a, and a business that thinks about these things proactively which means that they are, you know, when I'm looking at things, I I know that I'm more likely to be more comfortable because these are people that think about this stuff before I've asked them to, because it's stuff they care, you know, they care about and it means something to them. So, you know, it, and also none of these things are expensive. None of these things are time consuming. None of these things actually impacts an ability to do a job. Um, You know, unless your job's a professional eye contact and handshake tester, that job doesn't exist um you know it's it's absolutely fine um you know to sometimes just not say a word if somebody's wearing sunglasses and headphones in the office like they're getting the job done it's cool i've I've said that before when people are transfixed about grammar and spelling on cvs and i say look you're hiring and recruiting a forklift truck driver yeah does it really does it really matter what you're looking for is are they competent and safe yeah for driving a forklift truck so often we create this this normative expectation and biases about who this person must be yeah in order to be good enough and with it we're, we're we're just not thinking about what the requirement for the role is and yeah. and and the great attributes we're looking for we're creating all this other stuff and i mean i think i've seen i seen some debates again on linkedin around the, the do or don't around sending the interview questions in advance to the candidate yeah, uh, and people will say, "Well, if you send the interview questions, that's cheating. They'll they'll be able to rehearse them and practice and and do some research." You think, "Well, hang on a minute. In my job, I, when I'm doing things, I I rehearse, I investigate. I, I so all we're trying to do here is we're, we're saying you've got to have a fantastic memory and be able to recall facts and figures. Or you're actually saying that in the real world, we don't expect you to shoot from the hip. We want you to think about things in advance. So I think it's a, it's a great way and. Yeah, I mean, when you actually get the job, you're expected to prepare for meetings. You know, if I turn up to a meeting with my management team and I've done absolutely no prep and I've got no idea what I'm doing and I'm just rocking up and winging it, I would, that would not go down well. I've, you know, I've got a lovely team, but they wouldn't be happy with me. So what's wrong with asking, you know, helping people feel prepared? Like, you know, some, you know, some people don't. And I think another thing as well is like, what I will say, because I've experienced this as well, I have been offered to be sent questions ahead of time and I have accepted and gone, thank you. I have sat there, gone through the questions. I've not written a script, but I feel prepared and organised. And then I've gone into an interview and been asked completely different questions. Um, 
deviating from a fixed plan is probably one of the easiest ways to intensely stress out uh, a lot of autistic people I have interacted with and certainly myself. Um, That was probably one of the most stressful interviews I've ever had um, because I don't like surprises. Um, I, you know, and I had prepared to be interviewed for this job this way because I've been told that was how it was going to be. So that's probably another thing I'd say to be mindful of. If you are going to do it, commit to it, stick with it. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, do you, do you want, you know, it's another way of showing like, do they, you know, if they really want the job, like they'll, they'll take the questions and prepare. So if they've prepared, they've, they're showing you that they care about the job. Um, they're showing you how they'll turn up to meetings prepared and organized. You know, you can send them the questions, but, you know, they might not necessarily read them, prepare them, use them, make the most of the opportunity. And if they don't, that in itself is is data that you you may or may not want to use. Um, mm. It's it's not cheating. I, I just, you know, if you've got to that point in the interview, they've obviously at least shown, at least on paper, that they've got potential. So mm. you, you're expecting them to have experience or or the right attributes or whatever. Yeah. It's about modernizing the, the, the recruiting profession, isn't it? And opening people's eyes and ears and minds to, well, you know, I, I hate the phrase diverse talent. I hate that with the passion, but I keep using it. What I mean is people of all experiences, making sure that we're valuing people, making it accessible, making it available to all and recognising the equity we need, the extra support people need and whatever it may be yeah. to, so that people can succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, neurodiverse folks are notably underemployed um, either because they've been working, again, you know, in a system that isn't set up for their success. So they are literally underemployed. They're not hitting the potential they could with even minimal support but then also you know there are lots of people that have you know a desire and a, and a want to do work but are struggling to get through the door and actually would be able to do lots of different jobs and provide lots of of sort of value to their own lives and and their self-esteem and also the workforce but you know are being held back by silly outdated practices and on that note, I think it's been <laughs> fantastic chatting to you over the last, well, we've actually been talking away for about an hour and a half, uh, oh, wow. half an hour before we started. So, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and no doubt we could keep talking about, well, maybe even dinosaurs. I, I got obsessed with planets you know, when I was younger, mm-hmm. sort of the solar system. And I used to write whole projects for myself on, on, the, on the planets, do all the researches and yeah, the temperature on the surface when it was in in front of the sun or behind the sun it was kind of all this yeah. kind of stuff so oh wow yeah we could certainly go on for hours so sophie how can people get hold of you yeah so if folks wish to get hold of me the easiest way because i go on there more than any other form of social media is probably linkedin i am on linkedin as sophie power and then in bracket she hermers which are my pronouns um because i updated it before they put the pronoun feature in and um i yep i i'm at sophie power working at zinc work as a talent lead um and i'm also uh, can be found via talent hacks for scale ups which is the name of, of my own podcast fantastic that's absolutely amazing um and thank you to you the listener 
for tuning in, for getting this far. I really appreciate your your time and hopefully you've enjoyed this. I have. Uh, please do subscribe if you're not ready to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends and your colleagues. Please share the love. I'm sure they'll enjoy it as well. As you can imagine, I've got a number of other exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'd be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And of course, that may well be you. If you'd like to be a guest, then please let me know. Or if you've got other comments, feedback or suggestions on how I can improve, then just drop me a line to joe.lockwood at seachangehappen.co.uk. And finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this show for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.